As I come forward, children are dismissed to junior church at this time, so you can make your way out to junior church. I want to lift up, as I want to go back to the Lord in prayer just for a moment, and I want to pray for uh, Kim Zollner. I didn't, I um, neglected to lift her up in prayer a moment ago, so I want to lift her up. Um, unless I talked to her, I believe she has an appointment with a neuro-ophthalmologist this week, and it sounds like she's recovering well except for her eyesight, which obviously is a big deal, though it sounds like she recognizes some shapes a little bit, so it's improving maybe a little incrementally. But So let's pray for Kim, and I also want to pray for today's offering. So let's pray for the offering and Kim. Lord God, we just pray for Kim's honor right now and John. We pray your encouragement and strength upon both of them, and we pray your healing power upon Kim. Lord God, we thank you that she's healing in all these other ways. We pray you will completely heal and restore her eyesight. We pray your healing upon her eyesight. We also pray for today's offering. Take it and use it for your glory and your purposes. Please bless the gifts and the givers of the gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be turning to several passages here in just a moment. Uh, one of them will be 1 Thessalonians. Oh, didn't say that too well. 1 Thessalonians. Um, Chapter 5, verses 17 through 22. So if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to go to a few other passages. I begin a new sermon. I'm beginning a new sermon series today, a sermon series on worldview, a sermon series on worldview. And it's one of the most important. Oh, I got the Facebook. I'm just going to turn the Facebook off. So if you watch on Facebook, I'm not seeing your comments anymore because my Siri tried to come up and. We don't need Siri right now. So anyways, uh, this is one of the most important sermon series uh, that I would preach. And one of most, the most important um, or most passionate ones that I have. Because worldview means so much. And many of you and many of us do not realize how much our worldview is being pressed upon by the culture. And by just everything. Everything. You're in church maybe an hour a week. Maybe two hours if you come to Sunday school. Maybe three hours if you come to midweek Bible study. But you are in the world all those other hours, all those other days. And so are your children and your grandchildren. You're always in the world. And if you look at what the Bible says about the world, it says the world will always go against God. James 4.4, 4, I'll read it in a bit. Friendship with the world makes us enemies with God. So even if you're in your Bible, maybe for 15 minutes a day... But then you turn on, maybe you're turning the TV on or watching the news at night. Everything that you're taking in is trying to push against that biblical worldview. So my theme today is that you need, we need to be a culture warrior. We need to um, fight the fight. Because we are at war. Whether or not you realize it, we are at war. We are not in a physical war. But a spiritual and a cognitive war. A cognitive means it has to do with our thinking. We're in a war that has to do with exactly that, our thinking. Our war has to do with our worldview. Our worldview. A worldview, with how, a worldview has to do with where we get our values from. How do we know right from wrong? How do we view the world? Think about it. What is wrong with the world? you were talking to your children or your grandchildren or somebody asked you that, how do you answer that? What is wrong with the world? It's a basic worldview question and everybody has their own thoughts on what is wrong with the world. They may not be able to interpret those thoughts and share them with somebody else, but they have their own thoughts. They might say, the Republicans are wrong with the world or the Democrats are wrong with the world or the socialists are wrong with the world. But all that's wrong too. 
From the biblical worldview, sin is wrong with the world. We'll come back to that. Why do we need police? That's really what made me start to think about preaching on a biblical worldview. Why do we need them? Why is stealing wrong? Why is stealing, theft, wrong? Without the Bible, how do we answer this question? Without the Bible, how do we answer any of these questions? Why do we need order? Why do we need government? What is the purpose of marriage? When was the first marriage? What is the purpose of work? Why do we need work? Is everyone supposed to work? Or maybe just a few select people. It's interesting, in the ancient first century, if you study extra-biblical literature about the first century, the Greco-Roman world, they loved it if their women worked. They didn't need women's liberation for women to work. They wanted their wives and their women to work so the men didn't have to. (laughs) What is the purpose of work? Does everyone have to work? Why do we have problems and how do we help those in need? Why do we have problems and how do we help those in need? What do we do with people who are a drain on society? Do we just euthanize them? Do we abort them? Uh, what do we do with people who are a drain on society? What is right, what is wrong, and why? I want to submit to you that we can only find adequate answers to those questions from the Bible. Without the Bible, we are lost, totally lost. And really, that's what's going on in our country today. We try to set aside the Bible, and we are totally lost As far as what is right, what is wrong, how do we get answers? And so it becomes anarchy. Anything goes. From a biblical worldview, how do we address these things? Without the Bible, we are lost. And I want to talk about a biblical worldview. So today is just the intro. And my challenge today is to be a culture warrior. Recognize the struggle. Recognize the fight. Many of you, when I preach a sermon like this, you, you would agree with it. But I don't think enough of us are recognizing it day in, day out. We are entertained by whatever without screening it. And I'm not saying turn, off, turn it off. I'm saying have a conversation with yourself, with your children, with your grandchildren. What, is, what, what are the messages, these movies, these TV shows, this music, this news media, this education system, what are the messages they are teaching us? And how do we interpret them from a biblical worldview? We need to fight the fight. First, what is a worldview? A worldview is how one views the world. We all have a worldview. Most of you, most of us do not recognize our worldview. Our worldview is under the surface, but it is there. If you think of a worldview, you can think of it like an iceberg. It's 75% under the surface of the ocean. You really don't see it, but it is there. And it's the same thing with our worldview. What comes into your mind when you think about something reflects your worldview. What comes into your mind when you hear the term abortion reflects your worldview. What comes into your mind when you hear the word same-sex marriage reflects your worldview. What comes into your, how you, cope with, how you cope with death reflects your worldview. We all have a worldview. We all have thoughts about these subjects. My concern is our thoughts are impacted more from the world than from the Bible. And by the way, I just referenced abortion and I, I referenced same-sex marriage. I always want it said... God always offers forgiveness. So if you or somebody you know, and maybe they're watching on Facebook or something, have been through an abortion or something, God always offers forgiveness. We can't condone it, but God always offers forgiveness and love and support and grace and mercy. And I would love to partner and help with that. Same thing with, with, with homosexuality, with sins. You know, God always offers forgiveness and help and support. It's never, wrong, it's never right to hate. We never want to hate. 
Um, but how you cope with these things, how you answer these questions comes from your worldview. What you think about work and what you think about worship and what you think about church and what you think of governance, that all reflects your worldview. What we see in the Bible is that God created everything good. We see that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Everything was created good. All of creation was good. All of nature was good. The Garden of Eden, all of it was good. Then in Genesis 3, sin entered the world. We live in a fallen world. We still live in a fallen world. In the Gospels, we see redemption. Jesus has redeemed us, but the world is still fallen. The world is not yet restored. A biblical worldview goes in this order. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Everything was created good. We currently live in a fallen world. It is redeemed, but we're not, that, we're, we're not yet there. So when you think of hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and, and wildfires, sometimes we call them natural disasters. They're really unnatural disasters. They're part of the fallen world. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And by the way, your worldview reflects so much of your thinking. That's why I really value Christian counselors. Because even if the counselor is not bringing up the Bible, I want the counselor to have a strongly rooted biblical worldview. You know, your worldview impacts everything with what your thinking is. I mean, think about it. Your worldview reflects skipping church to do something. I know it's really difficult sometimes, right? It's really difficult when you have a lot going on in your life. You're really busy. Maybe you're a small business owner and you have so much work piled up. And we just think, uh, there's no way that I can do this. Or maybe you have all that work piled up at your job, at your, but then you're also, you know, got work on your house. You got to get done. Or a friend help ask you, hey, can you help me with this type of thing? And, and you like to be a nice guy. And I don't want to be legalistic, so I'll just skip church to help. That comes from your worldview. I mean, if you really believe in the great sovereignty of God, you would never do that. I mean, you could, you could skip church to help, and God in his total sovereignty could make the job be horrible. You didn't save any time. You could skip church to help, but your kids end up going to hell as they grow up. How much do we view the sovereignty of God? Of course, then there's the other side of it. Because the first thing about a Christian worldview is to be a Christian. Most of the Christians I see in this country are Christian in name only. I know that sounds very judgmental, but I said it. You know, and, you know we skip church in a laissez-faire attitude. We, we skip devotions. We're not in the Word of God. We're not ruminating on it, meditating on it. We're not memorizing it. We're not really Christian families. We live the same way as the world. And then we excuse it, saying, I don't want to be legalistic. I'm against legalism, too. Legalism means that you have to earn your salvation. That's what legalism is. You have to earn your salvation. That is heresy. You do not earn your salvation. If we could earn our salvation, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. We need Jesus' blood on the cross because nobody can be good enough. Attending church on Sundays for worship and not missing for frivolous things is not legalistic. Having devotions every morning or every evening or every day or all day long is not legalistic. Having times in prayer is not legalistic. That's not that's a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to just put my relationship with Jesus on hold because i got a lot of work to do. Well, put your family on hold. See how that works for you. Put what's most important first, and that's Jesus. And the funny thing about legalism, though, is, and I'll just say this and I'll move on. You know, we're only legalistic about spiritual stuff, right? I mean, or things we don't want to do. Let's just say that. I don't want to be legalistic about exercise, <laughs> you know. So you might, you might be that way. But what about eating? Why eat three meals a day? That's just legalistic. Mix it up a while. Just eat one meal tomorrow. 
You don't need three meals a day. That is just so legalistic. You know what? You need to eat at different patterns of the day, maybe three, maybe five small meals, because God designed our bodies that way. And we need a relationship with him, with daily commitment to him, as well as commitment to community, small group, Sunday school, worship services, because that's the way God designed us, to be in a relationship with him. That's not legalistic. That's relationship. And when you miss, you need to repent. You need to repent to your family, your kids, your grandkids, because there's hell to pay for it. And I mean that in a literal sense. There really is. You know, when you look at the, the, the consequences of the lack of spiritual commitment and spiritual leadership, why don't we be, why be legalistic about sleep? Don't sleep every night. I mean, just, it's Sunday. You don't need to, give it, give it till Tuesday night. Mix it up every bit. You don't, you don't need to sleep every night. You're so legalistic. See how we get caught in this trap? And you can tell how illogical it is when you try applying the same standard to other things, like eating or like, like sleeping or what about other patterns. We, we're meant to have organized patterns. So the first part of a biblical worldview is to be a Christian and live as a Christian and to know the word of God. Now moving on here. My encouragement for you is to fight the fight. There is a fight. There is a spiritual, a, a cognitive battle going on. It's a worldview battle. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Chuck Colson writes the following. He says, philosopher Richard Weaver has it right in the title of his well-known book, Ideas Have Consequences. That's the book title, Ideas Have Consequences. Colson quotes him as saying this. It is the great ideas that inform the mind, fire the imagination, move the heart, and shape a culture. History is little more than the recording of the rise and fall of the great ideas, the worldviews that form our values and move us to act, all right? History is all about the great ideas, the worldviews, changing one civilization to another. The culture war is not just about abortion, homosexual rights, or the decline of public education. These are only the skirmishes. You hear that? Most of us don't think of it that way, but these are only the skirmishes. The culture war is not about abortion, homosexual rights, or the decline of public education. These are only the skirmishes. The real war is a cosmic struggle between worldviews, between the Christian worldview and the various secular and spiritual worldviews arrayed against it. You hear that? That's the real war. The Christian worldview versus the secular worldviews going against it. That is what we must understand if we're going to be effective both in evangelizing our culture today and in transforming it to reflect the wisdom of the Creator. The world is divided not so much by geographic boundaries as by religious and cultural traditions, by people's most deeply held beliefs, by world views. So argued the distinguished Harvard scholar Samuel Huntington in a celebrated article a few years ago. And Christians would agree because we are religious creatures. Our lives are defined by our ultimate beliefs more sharply than by any other factor. The drama of history is played out along the frontiers of great belief systems as they ebb and flow. It's our belief systems, our worldview that shapes who we are and shapes how important we place God and Jesus in the biblical understanding. Huntington predicted a clash between the worldviews of three major traditional civilizations. Now, this is really interesting. Huntington predicted a clash between the worldviews of three major traditional civilizations, the Western world, the Islamic world, and the Confucian East. And many of us would agree with that, wouldn't we? However, one of his former students, political scientist James Kurth, took issue with him, contending that the most significant clash would be within Western civilization itself, between those who adhere to a Judeo-Christian framework and those who favor postmodernism and multiculturalism. 
And I find that very true. The clash we are experiencing across this country is not about Confucian East values versus Christian values versus Islamic values. The clash is internal. Those who adhere to a Judeo-Christian worldview and those who adhere to postmodernism and multiculturalism. Now, I'm going to take apart postmodernism in about three weeks, but postmodernism pretty much posits there is no really absolute truth. Anybody can have their own truth. If you want to believe that, it's fine. Just don't impress it upon me, and I'll have my own belief. Postmodernism distrusts all authority. What we're seeing across the United States right now, a distrust of government, a distrust of police, all that, that is postmodernism at its best, okay? That is postmodernism. Right now, we're seeing a clash between the Judeo-Christian worldview and a postmodern multicultural worldview. And we could go deeper with those thoughts, and we will in the coming weeks. For today, I urge you, recognize the struggle and fight it. Understand the dichotomy between the world's ways and God's ways. The dichotomy means a difference. James 4, 4 says this. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen, recognize the struggle. If we think friendship with the world and the world's systems and the world's ways and the world's cultures is okay, you're making yourself an enemy of God. We must recognize that. We cannot have both. God's ways are right, not the world's ways. Recognize this and fight the tendencies to go the way of the world. The second thing we must do is test everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says this, But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Examine everything. How? Prayer. <laughs> It says carefully, thank you, prayer. It's like when I'm reading to my kids and I say, what do they say? And they're obviously asleep. First Thessalonians 5.21 says, but examine everything carefully. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. We need to examine everything by prayer, like Vicki said, by the Bible, the word of God. And we need to examine everything carefully and we need to hold fast to that which is good. And we're going to talk more about this when we get into the applications. But for now, when you have the television on, test the message. Don't just watch a movie and let it feed you messages without them being examined. Test the message. Don't think that because it's a certain station, it's okay. Test the message. I had a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary. He was on a certain news station. It would surprise you what news station and what program if I told you. But he was told, don't quote the Bible. And he said, don't you think your conservative base wants me to quote the Bible? They said, no. They have nowhere else to go. Listen, there is no... Um, friend territory in the world. It is all, must all be thought about, thought upon as enemy territory. And we are told to test everything. Every message from every news media, every journalist thing, every newspaper, every movie, every TV show, every video game, every education thing. Test the message. Test the Christian messages too. You test it with the Bible. Realize the affluence portrayed in television can be just as destructive as sexual morality. All right, let me repeat that. Realize the affluence, the affluence with an A, portrayed in television can be just as destructive as a sexual immorality. Realize if you teach your children to maintain sexual purity and wait on sex until marriage, but allow them to be entertained by media with cohabitating couples and sexual relationships outside of marriage, that is teaching them contrary to your teaching. And if you're not screening the teaching, that is probably teaching them more than you're teaching because they're in that world more than they're in the church and more than they're in your world. Realize if you're teaching your children about God and the spiritual life, but their schools and their media are teaching that they are just accidents that evolved, 
that will pull them away from God. Okay, you hear that? You could be teaching them they are creating the image of God and all that stuff, but if their schools and the media are teaching them they are just accidents that evolved, that is going to have a greater effect. Unless you are intentional. Unless you are intentional. We got to test everything. We have to fight the fight. Test, examine everything. We test with the Bible. We test with the biblical worldview. Let the Bible be your glasses, your corrective lenses to properly see the world. I don't know how, how many of you wear glasses. I wear contact lenses. But, uh, you know, if you take them off, you can't see properly, can you? Or take them out, you can't see properly, can you? Listen, that, that's how it should be for us without the Bible. And it really is that way for us without the Bible, whether we realize it or not. We need the Bible to be our glasses, our contact lenses, our spectacles to properly view the world. We test with the Bible. We test with the biblical worldview. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.22 continues. It says, abstain from every form of evil. Of evil. Okay, so he said, test everything. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast that which is good. And now it says abstain, bless you, abstain from every form of evil. This means to abstain from every form of evil. This is not apparent evil. This is real evil. To do this, we must test everything first. Test, examine everything with God's word. Study culture. I have another scripture. 1 Chronicles 12.32, this is your third scripture for today. We looked at James 4.4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. We looked at 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and 22, test everything, abhor what is evil. Now look at 1 Chronicles 12.32. Of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their kinsmen were at their command. All right, so this is talking about in the Old Testament, the men of Issachar. And what does it say about the men of Issachar? It says they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Most Christians, correction, alleged Christians across the United States of America do not really understand the times. And we do not seek to either. We think the answer... It's a political party. And guess what? It's not. The answer is people coming in to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and letting Jesus change their worldview and letting Jesus change who they are. That's the real answer. We need to be like the men of Issachar. And if you're a woman, you can be like the woman of Issachar, okay? Who understand the times and know what to do. We need to be culture warriors. We cannot ignore things. We should be like them. So we must study. We must test. We must examine. We must abstain. Study, test, examine, abstain. Abstain from evil. That's what it said. And we must cling to a biblical worldview. Let that biblical worldview shape everything about who you are. Let's look at applications. We must test everything, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. This means we must understand that every article, every movie, every book, every teacher, every institution, every politician, and every other form of entertainment or influence has a worldview. Every form of entertainment or influence has a worldview. It doesn't mean we don't send our kids to that type of ed education. It means we have conversations about it. Though John Piper, a wonderful theologian, was asked about Christian school versus public school versus homeschool, and he said at one point at the very end, he said, our country trains our military to be the best in the world, but we don't train them in the enemy's territory. But we must realize anything, anything not connected with Jesus in the biblical worldview is the enemy's territory. 
Now, ultimately, it's all going to fall under Jesus in the end. We've been studying that in Revelation, come to my Sunday school class. But it's all the enemy's territory. We must test everything. Most of the time, the worldview in politics and movies and TV and every other form of media, most of the time, their worldview is counter to the Christian worldview. We must test everything. Think of the worldview. Here's an example. Think of the worldview of a show on Smithsonian. So there's a show on Smithsonian. It's called Aerial America. It's really interesting. And, and they even have Aerial Africa. Aerial Africa. And I'm watching it with my kids. And they bring up evolution. What do you do? You just turn it off? That's not what I did. I didn't ignore it either. We paused it. Actually, Megan started this. Thank you, Megan. We paused it. Girls, is that how we got here? Is that right? And they already knew the answers. But actually, I think sometimes a TV show or a book or a news source or a movie or an education system can have redeeming qualities. So it doesn't mean you turn them off, but it means you test them and you screen them with the biblical worldview. And it is my belief that having the conversation with your children like that is better than not watching the show and having no conversation at all. When you're able to have the conversation, you're able to take a teachable moment about things. What about more innocent things? What about Christmas programs, about Santa Claus? We also must pause the program and talk about the real meaning of Christmas. Many of the world's Christmas movies are not at all about Jesus, okay? That does not mean you don't watch them or participate in them. It just means we must screen them and we must think about what is the real meaning of Christmas? What is the real biblical worldview of Christmas? And, and by the way, it's not about gift giving. It's not about affluence. It's not about money. It's not about things either, is it? I know a church, Gingisburg, big church in Dayton, they challenge their congregation to give more to missions for Christmas than they do to their friends and family members for gifts. Christmas is not my birthday, and it's not yours. It's about Jesus. We must test everything with the Bible. We must teach our children to test everything, too. This means we must first study the Bible. If you're not in the Bible, you're already set up to fail. We must meet in the Word of God. So we must first study the Bible. Secondly, this means, this means we must study culture. We cannot put our head in the sand. We must test the movies and shows our children or our grandchildren watch. We must test the books our children read. We must test the books we read or listen to. Don't think just because you are 950 years old, I'm just trying to make something up that none of you are that age. Just because you're at that age, you're safe. You are not safe. You must test everything. The worldview of the world is pushing up against seniors just like it is young adults and just like it is children. Test everything. We must test the politicians that we vote for. We must remember the lesser of two evils is still evil. Don't try to excuse sin. We must test the music we or our children listen to. We must test the schools our children are taught at. We must test the teachers influencing our children. We must test the games our children play. We must test everything. Next part, we must abstain from every form of evil. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.22 said. Abstain from every form of evil. This means real evil, not apparent evil. As we test, we must prayerfully discern when to abstain. When it's black and white evil, it must be abstained from. When the purpose of the movie or the book or the news source is sin and evil, you must abstain from it. This requires a test. This requires not making excuses, not justifying things. Like the men of Issachar, we must study to understand the times in order to know what to do. 
And I'm glad to give you many resources. You should check out the Colson Center, the Breakpoint Daily. You could read it or listen to it on Christian radio or online. Al Mohler's briefing podcast is just great. There's many great resources to help us to understand the times and know what to do. We cannot bury our head in the sand. We must offset bad news with the good news of the gospel. We must rejoice in the Lord. We must remember where our hope is. We must recognize the dichotomy between the world's ways and God's ways. And this must be first. We must recognize God's ways are right, the world's ways are not. We must not be content with the world. By the way, this is a message for Christians. Sometimes all we do is give a message about how, the bad, how bad the world is, but we're giving the message to the world. The world, first and foremost, needs to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they're not going to get the message. They don't even know Jesus. This is a message for Christians to be the light. So here's your challenge. This week, live out 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Test everything. This week, make it your goal to think about every form of media in the messages telling you. See what you come up with. Make it your goal. Every form of media in the messages telling you. And I'm not, some of you don't watch TV, great. But you're playing video games. Look, there's, or maybe only watch the news. Listen, I'm talking about every form of media. Books are included. Newspapers are included. Magazines are included. They're all included. Every form of media. Test them. But let me come back to the questions I began with. As I said, we can only find adequate answers from the Bible. So let me reference the questions that I began the sermon with, and I'm going to give some simple answers. What is wrong with the world? From a biblical worldview, sin entered the world in Genesis 3. The world is fallen. A biblical worldview goes in this order. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The world is redeemed, but it's not yet restored. Why do we need police? The Bible answers these questions. Why do we need police? In my opinion, we need police because we live in a fallen world. Things were created good, but creation fell in Genesis 3. Because of the fall, we need government. We need police. We need the military. We need law, and we need order because of sin. Why is stealing wrong? Without the Bible, how do we answer these questions? In my opinion, God gave us morality. God gave us right from wrong. The Ten Commandments put that morality in writing. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. There is no way to know right from wrong apart from the Bible. We could argue that common sense says that stealing is wrong. But who gave us common sense? God gave us that moral framework. God gave us that. God gave us a moral standard, and that is written in his word. Why do we need order? Again, Genesis 3 says that we live in a fallen world. However, get this. Even in the Garden of Eden, God commanded Adam to tend the garden. And that's Genesis 2.15. That was before the fall. God set up order before the fall. Why do we need government? I answered that a little bit. We live in a fallen world. That's Genesis 3. It does seem that there will be a type of government in the New Jerusalem. But that will not be because of sin, but for responsibility and order. In Romans 13, 1 through 7, as well as 1 Peter 2, 12 through 13, we are told to submit to governing leaders. We need government because of sin, because we live in a fallen world, at least at this time. By the way, uh, from Exodus through Deuteronomy... It's all about setting up government in Israel. God set up government. What is the purpose of marriage and when was the first marriage? How do we answer that? We must go back to the Bible. And guess what? We must go back to Genesis. The first marriage was Genesis 2. The purpose of marriage was 
I'm going to oversimplify here. The purpose of marriage was and remains companionship and reproduction. That is somewhat oversimplifying things, but the point is, from the Bible, there was a purpose in marriage, companionship and reproduction. Man and woman complement one another for a purpose. Get this, marriage was the first institution. Marriage was the first government, really. Marriage was the first institution. Marriage preceded government. We had one family, and marriage was their governance. Then we had many families, and we needed common governance. What is the purpose of work? Why do we need work? Is everyone supposed to work? In Genesis 2.15, God gave Adam purpose prior to the fall. They were told to work. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, we're told if one person does not work, they are not to eat. Clearly, the Bible tells us to work. Clearly, the Bible also tells us to help those in need. Throughout Deuteronomy and the Old Testament, we are repeatedly told to help the orphans and widows. In Acts 6, Paul instructs them to take care of those in need. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul instructs to care for the widows. Why do we have problems? And what do we do? How do we help those in need? Again, we have problems because of sin. We have a sin problem, and that has made all of creation fallen. Romans 8, 19 through 22 says that all of creation is awaiting redemption. We are told to love God and love people. We're told to help even our enemies. You know that? Look at Romans 12. Bless those who curse us. Do good to those who harm us. What do we do with people who are a drain on society? That's a, that's a question all over our culture today, isn't it? Do we just abort them? Do we euthanize them? We serve them. We help them. If we are all created in the image of God, and that's what Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says, and if God is the creator, see Psalm 139, we do not have the right to take life. Okay? From a biblical worldview, we are all created in the image of God. God is the creator and sustainer. We do not have the right to take life. What is right? What is wrong and why? The meta-narrative of Scripture teaches this. The Bible is a meta-narrative. That means the Bible is a grand story from Genesis to Revelation made of many smaller stories. And the Bible teaches what is right and what is wrong and why. We need to go back to a biblical worldview. We need to seek the Lord. We need to test everything. We need to abhor what is evil. And first and foremost, we need to repent and turn our lives over to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we truly would be following you. Lord God, I pray that we would truly know you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help our congregation and those listening to seek you, to test everything. Help us, Lord God, to test everything, to cling to the good, to pray continually. Help us to abhor what is evil. Help us to go back to the Bible for these answers. And first and foremost, Lord God, help us to live as Christians. I know, Lord God, I'd be ignorant if I didn't. There are people listening, people watching, maybe watching, listening later who have skipped the common worship service for things they consider most important. Lord God, as Christians, help us to honor you by repenting when we sin. Lord God, help us follow, uh, focusing on our relationship with you. You are the vine, we are the branches. First and foremost, Lord God, we need to get our relationship with you right. And secondly, we need to test everything, cling to the good, Pray continually. Abhor what is evil. We cannot do this alone. We can only do this by the Holy Spirit within us. So we ask for your help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.